We're really glad that you all are with us this morning and are grateful that you have uh, entrusted us with the first hour of your day. Hopefully you got a good meal in your belly. We're going to take a look at what the truth about men is and the things that uh, influence us and that create confusion and problems in our lives that, that pull us back from being the men we want to be. Here's the deal. Men have got uh, a lot of criticism that's been directed at them. And that criticism that has been directed at them has brought about confusion. There's a lot of things that have brought about that specific confusion. If you want to look at the sheet that's down here that I've given you guys to kind of walk through with some of our time today, I just want to kind of frame this for you. You know, uh, we are commanded, we are told, it is our Creator's desire that we act like men. But when you ask a group of guys, what's it mean to act like a man? Individuals cannot answer that question anymore with the same confidence that they used to be able to answer it. They're not really sure. And there's a lot of stereotypes that are out there. Some of them are kind of what you just saw up here, which is the, uh, the macho uh, kind of idea that was in that video. And others are this weak, emasculated guy that doesn't want to step on anybody's toe, toes, be an abusive leader. Uh, they're kind of passive because they want to make sure they don't do anything that's going to kind of rile up society, make somebody too upset, or offend their wives. And so guys are struggling to try and figure out what is it that I'm supposed to be if, in fact, I am employed to act like a man, who I am. What's that mean? Uh, I want to read you an email that we have had, you know, that we've been interacting with some guys, and this is typical. I want to let you know this. This is, a, this is in theory that we're dealing with. I'll pick up uh, right here, and guys, if you don't have one of those sheets, there's some men in the back that want to get one into your hand. So if you don't have that little uh, sheet that we want to leave you with, they'll help you take it out and just get your hand up, and those guys will get it to you. But this is what this gentleman says to us in this email very recently. He said, look, I count you as a good friend, and we spent a significant amount of time together, and I want to share with you what's going on, because this guy just disappeared. He said, during this time, you've made such, uh, you, you've seen much change in my life, You've also seen inconsistency in my life. While I've made efforts and strides in areas, I've come to realize that I have failed in many areas in my life. He writes, Over the past several years and much self-evaluation, I feel very empty and unsuccessful for lack of a better word. I just want to share with you, this is a guy that was involved with us in a key way. Last time you know, we gathered uh, at the beginning of this calendar year, he was one of the gentlemen that would have greeted you when you walked in. And he goes on to say, that uh, I've made efforts and strides in areas, but I've come to realize I've failed in many areas in my life. Over the past several years and much self-evaluation, I feel empty and unsuccessful. Call it a midlife crisis or whatever, but the realization is that I could easily spend life alone with no one to care for and no one to care for me, not only in a relationship but financially. All this rolled into one has basically paralyzed me from handling responsibilities. While I am confident that I have much to offer a spouse and an employer, I see opportunities go by and I'm not on board. I guess you could say I'm afraid the last ship is sailing out of the harbor and I am not going to get it. I'm trying my darnest to grasp and cling onto the hope that I have and climb out of this hole. But he goes on to say, I don't know really where to go or how to do it. Would you help me? See, here's a guy that is struggling with what's it mean to be a man, especially a guy in my life stage, where I'm at higher into my 30s, moving into my 40s. And I don't look like I think I should look. I think to act like a man means you get a woman. I think to act like a man means you have kids. And to act like a man means you have a house, you have a job. In this city, it means you've accomplished a certain level of success. And there's two basic 
confusion extremes that are out there amongst guys. One, as I've said already, is kind of the emasculated man. A passive man. A weak man. A guy that doesn't want to be a bad boy. And then there's the other extreme. The guy that wants to uh, impress others and uh, show his strength and, and show his uh, ability to, to kind of control the world, maybe through possessions, maybe through appearance, maybe through financial success. One guy doesn't want to be a bad boy. The other one wants to convince the world he's a badass, basically. And guys tend to swing back and forth between these two extremes, wondering which one it is to really be a man. Somebody doesn't really offend folks, or somebody that all he does is kind of strut around trying to impress people with his strength and with his possessions. Uh, you know, my dad uh, is in town this weekend, so he's here with me this morning. And I, uh, my dad, was, for 20 years, was a, an official in the NFL. And because of that, he was asked to speak at a lot of different places at times. And I can remember I went with him one time to hear him share, I think it was at a, a local Kiwanis club, talking to a group of men. And he used this illustration, and as I was laying in bed last night thinking about getting started, it reminded me of, of one of the two misunderstandings of what it means to be a man. The story went like this. He said that there were uh, these three bulls that were hanging out and uh, that kind of lived in this one particular ranch, and they heard the farmer talking about his uh, dissatisfaction with the production that was coming from basically the cattle, the yield that was coming there. And so he, you know, kind of said he was going to bring in, you know, another bull, a champion bull, blue ribbon bull. And those three guys started talking, I don't know who that guy thinks he is or who this bull thinks he is that we're moving in here. But, you know, the grass is not as plentiful as it used to be. And so if he thinks he's getting some of my grass, he's got another thing coming to him. The other bull says, you know what? It's not a ton of stall space around here, and we get driven inside. And so if he thinks he's going to share some of my stall space, he's got another thing coming to him. And the third guy goes, well, hey, grass, stall space, there's only so many heifers. And if he thinks he's getting some of the heifers that, you know, have been my responsibility, he's got another thing coming to him. Well, about two, three weeks passed, and all of a sudden this semi pulls up, you know, and it's kind of shaking when it stops. And the back gate goes flying open, and there is the biggest bull they have ever seen. I mean, even his three bulls, they just go, oh my gosh, he fills up the entire back of the semi. We came in the back of a pickup on a trailer. This brother's got 18 wheels. Snot's coming out of his nose. He walks off. The trailer shakes. He gets on the ground. Those three bulls are kind of out there to greet him, and they're standing there together. And the one bull says, you know what? It has rained a lot these last three weeks. Grass is starting to come in. It's probably enough for that guy to graze right there alongside of me. The second guy gets out there and he says, you know what? Because there hadn't been a lot of grass before that, I don't know about you guys, but I feel like I've lost some weight. I don't need as much stall space as I used to use. He's welcome to come on in. And the third guy walks straight out there, gets about 50 yards in front of him. He lowers his head, starts scratching the dirt, snorting and doing everything he can. And his two buddies go, are you crazy? That brother's going to kill you. Would you get back here? You can't fight him. And the guy kind of leans back and goes, fight him? I just want to make sure he knows I'm a bull. (laughs) I don't blame him. All right? But so many of us, you know, we're kind of like that. We go, I just want to make sure the world knows I'm a bull. And so I don't know what to do, really, but I've got to make sure the world knows that's what I am. And what I want to talk about today is some of the reasons that, that we are in a state of confusion. I'm going to give you just a little bit of a historical background, not long. I'm going to walk you through the solution to the problem that's been created by the world that we live in today. And over the next five weeks, we're going to give you 
these solutions in full. We'll knock them off one at a time. And it takes a courageous man to face them in order to allow us to achieve once again all that the Lord wants us to achieve and become the man that our Creator wanted us to be. So here we go. If you just look right there, uh, the problem is that men really don't know what it means to act like a man. That doesn't mean all of you. It just means generally in our society. And so there's a number of reasons for this. Number one, you know, some of it has to do uh, with our society. Let me explain that. When you think about what's out there and what makes a guy feel like a guy or what's, what Wall Street suggests, if you're a guy, you will be. You'll see it like that. This is the truth about men. We ain't wrong. We ain't sorry. and We're probably going to do it again. We'd rather work on cars and pick guitars and work on the problems in our lives. All we want to talk about is SEX. You know, we are creatures of our appetites, and we're going to live to satisfy them. We will use our strength and our freedom to advance our own cause. That's one idea, the world's view that is out there. You'll catch it sometimes in movies. The John Wayne, the Clint Eastwood, the Braveheart, the Lance Armstrong, the Donald Trump. All these images that society puts before you, the world's idea, Hollywood's idea of what a man is. Now, also societally, many of us have been around places of, uh, of worship or houses of faith or churches. And churches have done a terrible job of communicating what it means to be a man. Because if I said now many times in the recent weeks, I have seen way too many churches that don't look at men and say, look, you are valuable to us. And we want to unleash you to be all that you were created to be for the good of this community and the world that we are in to make a difference. And every single one of us is uniquely shaped by God as men to make a difference. And when we pull back from that, there is, as you will see in just a little bit, chaos, confusion, hopelessness, and despair. And what too many times churches want men to do is just to show up, shut up, pay up, and be polite. Don't embarrass us too much in the community. And we kind of push men towards this inactivity, weak passivity, and just kind of validate us by showing up and keeping the lights on. Now just flip this thing over real quick. I want to show you in the very back of your sheet that uh, that is not at all the, the idea and the picture that the Scripture has for what men should be. I just took one little section at the very bottom, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 through 7. This is the same guy that wrote to the, uh, the Corinthian church, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. This is what he says right here. Now watch the difference between what he is calling men to be and what you've experienced in most churches before. He says right here, you therefore, my son, be strong. And I just put in there, he wants you to be a leader and a protector. If you bail, if you're weak, there's going to be consequences. Be strong, he says, in the truth of the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, you entrust these things to faithful men. You be a reproducer. You be a multiplier. You be a bull. And it's up to you to bring forth strength and multiply yourself out, who will be able to teach others also. Not only that, guys, but I expect you as a leader to suffer hardship with me. As a good soldier, you be a warrior of a cause that is greater than you. Now see, this is starting to resonate more with who you are and how you're shaped and how you're created. All right, I get to lead, I get to influence, I get to multiply, I get to bring forth the heritage, I get to war against that which wants to defeat that all that is good. And you can see it goes on. He uses a different metaphor he just says in a minute. He says, hey, if anyone competes as an athlete, a competitor, one who strives to win, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. So you compete well, man. 
And then he goes on to say, the hardworking farmer, the provider, the one who sustains others through his effort. He said, I'll be the first to receive his share of the crops. Now you look at those metaphors and those ideas, and that's typically not what you're confronted with when you are around people that are supposed to help you act like men. But guys, I want to tell you something. This is your destiny, if you want it. That's what God wants for all of us. It'll look different in every one of us. But those are the things that you were created for, and those are the roles that you are asked to excel in. And in all those things, you are not to be some weak, passive, emasculated male, or in your insecurity, try and impress others by your appearance and how you cuss and scratch and all that other stuff. But you're to be a tender warrior. Act like men. Be strong. And in the very next words, we're in all things love. And how can a man be both those? That's what we're going to talk about. Here's some of the societal effects that are out there. You see that little quote by Garrison Keller. Years ago, manhood was an opportunity for uh, achievement. But now it's a problem that has to be overcome. I read one quote as I was looking around at some different stuff. One woman said this, men are like farts. That's what she said. Men are like farts. They're an unpleasant experience that we must walk through. And the only good thing that comes about it is we figure out how long we can hold our breath. Now think about that. Now that's probably not a real happy woman, but I'll tell you why she believes that we're like that. All right? That woman, in fact, has actually waited on me before. I didn't know that. All right? Some of you all go, I am married to that woman. I didn't know that her quote had become that famous. But some of you are around women that make you feel like that. That the only thing you're good for is to see how long they can hold their breath until they escape your oppression. And see, society has this idea, and there has been a march over these last decades of people that are saying men, manhood is not an opportunity for greatness. Manhood is something to be suppressed redefined and transformed. And there's a lot of guys have been affected by that. Uh, the Industrial Revolution. The Industrial Revolution changed the society that we live in as men. It took us from farms where we worked 12 hours a day with our boys at our side, apprenticing them and shaping them, being a provider and a protector in the family, to driving us out of the home and into the city. There's a societal transformation that came along, uh, a societal revolution where there was a confusion of roles. Where uh, now it wasn't men do this, women do this. This is how they partner together to make greatness in the family and to reproduce strength. But listen, you know, we need to go to more of an egalitarian view. That there's a sameness there. And we need to uh, not be so sure what the role of a mother and what the role of a father is. The post-World War II society, it was the very first time that men were largely disconnected and driven from their families. They were pushed out of the home and away from their place of primary influence where they came home defeated and tired. Many times mom had run the home while they were gone and mom continued to run it when you got back. And guys started just to want to sit on the sofa, eat a bag of chips and watch the NFL. Stop shaping the next generation of men as to what had been. We became nose-to-the-grind, defeated individuals that was all about chasing some significance somewhere else than where we were primarily called to chase it. And it's brought about confusion. There's a spiritual revolution that went on. And some of the mores that used to direct us and some of the ideas that used to define us were challenged. This is no longer authority. There's no longer truth. Revelation took a back seat to this idea of reason. Marxism, you know, Darwinism, 
And all the other ideas that challenged the stated order came into play. And so there are some societal reasons why this is difficult. Uh, Fifty years ago, think about this, guys. You know, 19-year-olds were flying B-52s, you know, over Germany. And now they're, you know, dropping in half pipes. And you start to think about the difference in responsibility and the difference of what it shapes in a man when he's out there the way many of our young men today are being challenged to grow up and be men. And the way for really three or four generations there for the last 50 years of young men grew up without experience to say, hey, step up, fulfill your role, protect, be a man. Second reason is, is because uh, of a lack of vision. Thomas Carlyle, you can see right down there, I put he's a Scottish historian, said this, show me the man you honor and I will know what kind of man you are for it shows me what your ideal of manhood is and what kind of man you long to be. What is your vision and what is your role model for manhood? And again, the world's going to promote some, Hollywood's going to promote some, and too many times in places that are to define it with the book that our Creator gave us that we might know who we are, aren't doing a good job of communicating it. And so there's a lack of vision. There's a lack of healthy guys that will show you that's what a man is. Not passive, not escaping, not leaving his area of responsibility, but dwelling in faithfulness, bringing forth productivity in his land. And not some insecure guy who tries to dominate others to validate who he is. There's a lack of vision. You can see down there, uh, that first little verse, Proverbs 29, 18, I put down there for you. Uh, it says, where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained. You'll find out that word means they're out of control. When there's no clear understanding of what something should be, men go everywhere. If we now go to reason, it's just who is the loudest voice in the public square? And if it's Gloria Steinem, then this is what men will look like. If it's NBC, then this is what men will look like. If it's you know your mom who resents the fact that dad isn't a tender presence in her life who loves and shapes her and all she does is talk poorly about your father or if your father abandoned you or left you because he was more concerned with what brought him pleasure than shaping and molding you, your vision of what a man should be has been defined by that. And so that loss and clarity of what a man is when somebody says act like men creates confusion. And some of you are still probably out there thinking, I don't really know what I'm supposed to be. I think I'm supposed to make a lot of money and show that I'm competent by living in a certain zip code with a certain quality of house, with a certain wife that appears this way, you kids that act this way. And that's kind of what a man is in this city. And if he's not in the Dallas Business Journal, I'm not sure you're ever really a man. And that lack of vision, that lack of understanding is creating all kinds of confusion. Society and a lack of clear communication hurts us. Proverbs 22, 28 says, do not move the ancient boundaries set by your fathers. In other words, there's a reason that for a long time, this is what defined manhood well. And when you start to jack with those things and move those things and push reason where revelation is and don't love the truth, or as it says in, in the verse about a lack of vision in Proverbs 29, if you don't love the law, what is right and true, then it's going to go everywhere and it's going to create problems. A third reason has a lot to do with good old dad. Let me show you this image right up here. I'll, I'll, I'll talk more about this specifically next week. But one of the reasons there's so much confusion is so few guys have had men, fathers, who have modeled for them what it means to be a man. Now look at this. You can see what's going on. This is, this is 50 years ago. Norman Rockwell said, we've got a problem in our country. 
Because while there's still some women who for whatever reason want to march at that point towards this place where they can learn to act like the Creator says they should act, which will give them a sense of right and wrong and destiny, Dad is like, look, man, I am whipped after a tough, long week, and I'm just going to kind of slink down in this chair until I can get alone for a little bit. And you can watch what happens. There's Mom, nose in the air, smug. She's going to play the leader role if Dad isn't. And the two daughters have caught on to Mama's smugness. Dad's incompetent. He's a weak leader. But look who's not just got their eyes straight ahead like it's no big deal. The person who's supposed to become like that man. He goes, women go to church. That's where weak people go. Dad's just kind of sitting there and the little boy's looking at daddy like, is that what I'm supposed to be? Is that my destiny? Is that my future? Why am I doing what the women do? A lot of it has to do with good old dad. has affected a lot of folks. Let me just run a few names by you. Nietzsche. Freud. Stalin, Jean-Paul Sartre, Hitler. Every one of those guys had a, a dead, absent, or weak father. Every one of them. And the list is long and distinguished. And as a result of that, because there was nobody to give them definitive um, modeling, a law about what truly defines manhood, Nietzsche hated his weak father, his sickly father who said he was strong because of his faith, frankly. In order to get back at his resentment towards dad, he went to an extreme where he said, let me just tell you something. There is no God that makes men strong. My dad was weak. My dad abandoned me when I was four. My dad disappeared. He never provided me with anything. And men are stupid if they think God will provide men with things which will make them strong. And so Nietzsche said, you know, you're stupid to believe in this dead God. Because all he does is give you a dead father. And the anger that comes from that. Hitler's daddy abused him. You know, uh, Sarge's daddy, same thing. Uh, Right down the list. Stalin. All those guys. A lot of it has to do with dad. Now, if you look down here, I see what I've got. This is why this is a big deal. Because confused men, they experience a sense of hopelessness and despair. There's a sense of, of what is this all about? What is this for? Why am I going to live this way? I'm going to have my nose to the grind and just try and make it. I'm going to die of boredom. Henry David Thoreau, he noted this even hundreds of years ago. He said, most men lead lives of quiet desperation. They go to the grave with the song still in them. Man. Ever felt like that? I mean, the song is still in me. I don't know where I get to sing. I'm just in this, you know, rut of just making, you know, month to month. I don't really know if this life is all that grand. Where's that abundant life? What's it about? Confused men live lives of quiet desperation. It's like that email I read you. I don't know what to do. I think the world's passing me by. I feel like I'm getting ripped off. And so I just want to hold up in my shell over here and just hide from people because I feel like a failure. I don't know what to do. Tell you what else confused men do. Confused men create a leadership vacuum. A leadership vacuum. And major problems. That's true in the home. Uh, I read another quote by a woman, you know, probably good friends with a fart chick, that said, you know, if something's got tires or testicles, you're going to have problems with it. Now, how's that? 
That's the view that's out there. You got tires or testicles, it's just going to cause you problems. And so get used to it. And they resent that. They resent the maker of that vehicle. And so they try and supply themselves with a different directional course, a different sense of hope, different moorings, because whoever designed this thing that is constantly breaking down on me and not providing me the transportation from where I am in isolation to community and hope and strength and security and protection, I've got to find some other vehicle to get me to that place because I need it. There is a desperate need for individuals to play the role that our Creator designed us to play. And when men don't do it, it creates a vacuum that something else is going to step in and try and do it. And let me just show you down there. This is a little scene uh, from the Scripture. It's when uh, Moses had just led the people out of bondage and oppression. And Moses was uh, at a place where God was revealing to him things that would help the men of Israel to find themselves in a way that would be a light to the nations. But while Moses was gone, he left Aaron in charge. And this is the scene. It says, Then Moses said to Aaron, What did the people do to you that you have brought such great sin upon them? What had happened is there's this, this idol that had been created. There's this sense now that no man was leading them to trust in that which is anchored in eternity. And he kind of caved under the pressures of the people. And Moses said, What did they do to you that made you vacate your key position that was going to be a life and protection to these people? They needed leadership, and you have abandoned your post. How could you let them get this out of control, is what Moses is saying. And Aaron said, don't let the anger of my Lord burn. You know the people yourself. They're prone to evil. And Moses would have stopped right there and said, Aaron, that's exactly why you were here. That's why you're a man. That's why you're a leader. That's why there are shepherds for sheep. Don't tell me they're prone to stupidity, evil, and if there's not truth, revelation, and a, and a strong sense of direction that people are going to try and figure out their own. We knew that. That's why you were there, to make sure they had direction. Why did you abandon your post? Aaron continues, For they said to me, Make a God for us who will go before us. For this Moses, who knows what the heck happened to him, the man who brought us from the land of Egypt, we don't know what, what's become of him. I said to them, now look at this, this is a great man right here. I said to them, Whoever has any gold, tear it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. Isn't that great? Way to step up and take some responsibility right there. You know, like I said, my, my father's here this morning. My father wasn't perfect by any stretch of imagination, but I knew my dad loved me. And I saw my dad again and again throughout my life sit me down and said, your father just made a mistake. Whether it was with his anger or the way he handled a situation inappropriately, he said, let me just tell you, part of being a man is when you blow it, you face people, you stand up, you take account, you said, that was mine. And don't confuse what you just saw as proper or Right? And that was one of the greatest gifts my father gave me. He said, men aren't perfect. That's why we need a Savior, merciful Creator God. But men are men. And when they're called to lead and they don't lead well, they step up and say, hey, let me just tell you something. That in the picture. Forgive me. Not Aaron. I don't know what happened. We took the gold, we threw in the fire, and this, this calf walked out. Right, okay. You didn't shape it. You didn't create that yourself. You didn't bow to the pressure of the people. And he continues. Watch this. Now, when Moses saw that the people were out of control, guess what that is? That's the same word that appears in Proverbs 29. Where there is no vision, the people perish, some translations say. The people are unrestrained. Because there was no leadership present, society caved. And they started to, just, to act in ways that was going to bring destruction and hopelessness in their life. 
That's the idea. When there is a lack of leadership, there is hopelessness, despair, and there is a leadership vacuum which creates major problems. Do you know that 90% of the, of the violent crimes that take place in this country are committed by men? Do you know that um, our CR groups, you know, I have a, a close friend uh, who is leading one of uh, the breakout sessions for women, eight or nine women, processing major problems in their lives. And she told me, not even knowing what we were going to do, she said, i got to tell you something. Every single one of them have something in common. They've got a bad relationship with their daddy. Their father was absent or abusive. Every one of them. And these women have major issues and problems that they're trying to wrestle through to overcome some of that. Now let me just say this, and I'm going to say it several times, especially next week. Man, bad parents are a fact. They are never an excuse. But I'll tell you something. You know, uh, a lot of us, I know a lot of you guys, are trying to get over this hurdle of leadership that was vacant and caused problems in your life. And what I want to offer you right now is if you bear with us and if you become a man, you can overcome that and create for yourself a different destiny. But it takes a man to do it. The problem is, is that men today are in a state of confusion. Flip your sheet over with me and let's, let's dive in and see what the solution is. And here we go. It says, men have to regain their ability to leave to live confident lives. I want you to watch this video clip with me. It's going to illustrate both of these things. It's going to illustrate the solution, and it's going to illustrate also at this time what happens when there is an absence of leadership. Now, what you're going to see is a clip from Easy Company, a group of paratroopers in World War II. Band of Brothers is the documentary that was put together. They interviewed these guys, and then they got people to go ahead and act out what these men experienced. You're going to see that there's a Captain Winters that gives commands to Lieutenant Dyke he says, you go take that village. You've got to get in there. You take these platoons and you go and do not retreat. If you pull back, we will lose it and men will suffer. And you'll find that Lieutenant Dyke becomes overwhelmed. And there's hopelessness to spare. There is death. There is loss. And there are major problems. And then finally, Captain Winters, when he realized Dyke is absolutely failing, he says, get me Pierce. Pierce, you go in there and relieve Dyke and you get things in order because it is out of control and we are losing life. And this village that we as men are to deliver is about to go under. Watch this. Take 
I'm taking over. Precision, listen! Sir, most of the company is spread out here. First platoon tried to end around, but they're stretched out. They're pinned down by a sniper. I believe he's in the building with the cave-in roof. All right, I want mortars and grenade launchers on that building till it's gone. When it's gone, I want first to go straight in. Forget going around. Everybody else follow me. Yes, sir. Thank you. didn't shoot at it. I think they couldn't quite believe what they were seeing. But that wasn't the really astounding thing. The astounding thing was that after he hooked up with I Company, he came back. You see the hopelessness and despair leave the troops? You see the confusion, the leadership vacuum get filled. You see the major problems and death and destruction start to go away because somebody said, I will do what a higher authority said is right to do. I will not cave. I will not be weak. I will not flinch in the face of fear and death. I will be secure and face my problems and be a man. I will be strong. See, that is a clear picture. And when that happens, you see all of a sudden lives are spared, hope is given, and men look at each other like, all right, we got a chance. Let's take this village. See, now, confidence and confident men who live confident lives is the solution to this problem of confusion. Now, let me explain this word to you because I want to make sure you don't leave here with, with what I would say is the wrong definition of confidence. I'm not talking about self-reliant, cocksure men. That, that bleeds over to that, that idea of um, machoism. You know, that's always trying to, under false pretenses, impress other people. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm taking you back to the etymology of the word. All right, anybody here take enough Latin to remember what the two root words of confidence are? Most of you guys know from semper, yeah, semper fi, which is short for semper fide, okay, which means always faithful. All right, the, 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 uh, pre, the prefix to the uh, root fide in confidence means with. And so a confident man is a man who lives with faith. A man who lives by truth. A man who lives by a sense of what is right because he has anchored himself in it. He has seen its fruits and he says, I will live here. Not with a lack of vision. Not out of control trying to figure out what is right and true. But I will move forward with this as a basis for my reality and I will pursue it. In this sense, it was Captain Winters saying, I told you this is what must happen. You must keep going forward. And Dyke said, I can't. I'm too scared. I'm too insecure. I'm weak in the face of that threat. And he said, Pierce, you get in there, relieve him, and you go be a man. And you saw what happened. We need men who will live with faith. A confident man is not a man who is full of himself. Mark that down. He's not a man who is full of himself. He is a man that is full of faith and lives in truth. That is exactly what confidence means at its root. 
somebody who understands that word correctly, all right, is a man who is confident, is a man who lives with faith that is rooted in truth. A confident man, guys, addresses the realities of his past and the responsibilities of his present. Now, let me just explain this to you because this really is where we're going the next five weeks. What you're going to see here below those bullet points that we're going to take almost a week each on. I'll combine a couple of them. But here's the basic idea. A competent man, a man of faith, is not afraid, you know, to face uh, the things that are hurting him and have hurt him. Let me give you a quick illustration. Uh, Four weeks ago, I got bit by a brown recluse. I didn't know it when it happened, but this thing happened in my arm that got worse and worse and worse. And I did not have truth to deal with it. You know, I had a friend who looked at it and just goes, brother, that is the worst boil I've ever seen. And I go, man, boil, that's a thing of shame. So I kind of hit it. But what I would do at home at night is I'd get a sewing needle. And I was lancing my arm. All right? I just Johnny Ramboed up. I did. I just sat there. I go, okay, this is my moment. All right? And I'd take that needle and I'd stick it in there. And blood would come out and pus, you know, and I impressed myself with the fact that I didn't reveal national secrets, even though they were torturing me, you know, I played these games. I did. I sat there in my bathroom, looked in the mirror, go, all right, here we go. And I kept doing this, but what happened is it kept getting worse. It got worse. Uh, because I'm a dad of small children, and, and when they get little wounds, you know, whether they're severe or not, you've got to medicate them. You know, we have a different assortment of Band-Aids. We've got Spider-Man Band-Aids. We've got Disney Princess Band-Aids. We're out of Spider-Man Band-Aids. And the Band-Aids that I have today are not the, the normal, you know, type that looks like our old Band-Aids, but this one's kind of almost, uh, you know, they're, they're clear in the middle, and they almost look like a watch. They're wide in the middle where it's clear, and then they get narrowed again the other end. So I took um, an aerial Band-Aid and slapped it over this swelling head. Now let me just tell you what happened, because I wasn't dealing with the, the, the poison that was in my life, the reality of the past that had happened to me. It was a Monday. It was... Uh, you know, uh, I was out on this Monday at a football field coaching my son. And all of a sudden, Ariel's head burst. All right? I noticed the Band-Aid was getting fuller. But I looked down, and I saw pus and blood coming out of the side of Ariel's head. And it started running down my arm. And I kind of wiped it off and threw it down. But it got to where I couldn't hide it. And literally, I mean, it, it was just all of a sudden just, you know, cleansing itself a little bit. And I took that Band-Aid off. And when I did that, there were a bunch of parents in the silence. They go, Todd! What in the world? It was gross. I mean, it was really gross. I go, I know. I rolled my shirt up, and I kept trying to coach like this. But, but I mean, I'm telling you, it was nasty. And the kids quit playing football. They all looked at it. Parents came over and said, you've got to go to a doctor. All right? And, and my past was exposed on that football field. And my unwillingness to deal with it at that moment. Now, let me just say, some of you guys, the way you have handled yourself at your son's sporting events, because of how you thought a man would be, a man would have a son that did this and accomplished this, some of your past was exposed. Some of your pus and blood came pouring out, and everybody saw it. And it was a really difficult thing for everybody. And sons were wounded. Communities were harmed. Now, what happened? I had to go to a friend that night, and we sat on his kitchen table. And uh, we cut a hole in my arm that was you know, about three inches long and two inches wide, right down to the bicep. And he kept saying, we've got to take more. And he left that wound open and exposed. And for... And now in three weeks, it's a miracle. I mean, I'm telling you, this thing is closed up. It's unbelievable what has happened once the poison was eradicated. But it took some courage to not just deal with it in secret with a, a sewing needle. I sat there with my friend. He said, Todd, we've got to put you under. This is, this is his exact words. We're, we're fixing to come to Jesus if we deal with that thing. That's what he said. 
All right? And he goes, I, I want to put you under some general anesthesia. And I said, I don't want to make you uncomfortable, but I mean, can we do it here? He said, we'll try. And so, man, he got that needle out, and he stuck me up with lidocaine about 15, 20 times. It hurt like the dickens for him to put that sucker in there. And then we got the scalpel out, and I now hold the record for the most blood and flesh pulled out of his kitchen table. And we sat there and did it. Another Johnny Rambo moment. I just kept dreaming. Okay, I'm not going to give up national secrets. I can endure. All right? But, uh, but when we dealt with this and had the courage to face it is when healing came. And guys, what I'm going to ask you to do these next four weeks is stick with us and face these things. I'm going to just give them to you quick because we're going to spend weeks on them. Number one, the reality of an absent or an abusive dad. See, that is in your past. And if it's not in your past, I promise you, you're going to come across a number of men today It's in their past. And so you've got to be willing to face it and deal with it. The reality of an absent or abusive dad. Secondly, the reality of either an enabling or a dominant mother. It's there. A mom who said, hey, you're my little boy, you can do whatever you want. You know, and, and I love you and I'll provide for you and I'll wait on you hand and foot. And so some of you guys have now married thinking that your mom would still be there, except you could sleep with her. And that enabling mom that's in your past is keeping you from being the man that God wants you to be. Or you've had a dominant mom that just told you, don't be a man, don't listen to your dad, your dad's an idiot. And that's been part of the, the wound that's in your life that we've got to deal with. Thirdly, the reality of a depraved heart. It's there. And you're not working from a blank slate. And we've got to deal with that. Fourthly, the reality of a lack of understanding. In other words, this is that problem of a loss of vision. Is you don't even know what to pursue and how to pursue it. No one's ever modeled it for you. No one's ever taught it. And I want to tell you something. This is the good news. God, man, loves you. If there's one metaphor that is consistent all through the Scripture, guess what the metaphor is? God the Father. And He wants to refather you. And He wants to do it with a sense of strength and discipline and presence that can bring healing to that poison that's in your life. But some of us have got the wound of a lack of understanding. Some of us have got to deal with the reality of the effects in our life of isolation. Maybe, like I said, isolation from a, a, a mentor. Isolation from a community of guys that will encourage us. Isolation from truth. But we're going to deal with the reality of the effects of isolation that bring confusion to our lives. And then the responsibility of owning our own destiny. See, that's where we're going to end. We're not going to just talk about problems. We're going to leave here at the end of these next five weeks. And we're going to give you a chance to say, man, you have a chance now to reclaim your testing, to take that village, to be a man, to be a pierce to your family, your community. And folks, if us as guys, these hundreds of men start to say, we're going to be that, you watch what will happen. Big things will happen. This is the truth, though. There's an enemy that doesn't want you to do it. He wants you to be intimidated by the pain that it's going to take for you to face this stuff. He doesn't want you to be a man. He wants you to stay either emasculated or macho. He wants you to keep living under these false lies. This thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But your father comes that you might have life and have it abundantly. Now watch this. The enemy, guy, and you've got an enemy. It's worse than the Germans. He wants to steal your joy. In other words, your abiding sense of dignity and purpose and honor, no matter what your circumstance. He wants to steal that from you, that abiding sense of, hey, my life counts, and no matter how bad my circumstances are, I'm the man for this moment. I was created for such a time as this in my community, in my family, in my wife's life. And I will be that man. Though things are hard, I'll have joy because I know I'm doing what I ought to do. He wants to steal that from you. He wants to kill your hope. He wants to make you think, brother, 
Todd's going to talk about his abusive or absent father up there, you know, and, and the idea, but he doesn't know what it's like to have the abuse that I've had. He doesn't know what it's like to have a mom who's railing daddy from day one. He doesn't know what it's like to grow up as fatherless and as hopeless and as directionless as I have. And Satan's going to tell you, hey, let him up there with his nice little platitudes and basic good upbringing tell you how you can face this poison in your life, but you can't face it, man. You are a special case. You'll never be a man. You've made some choices to act like a woman with another man, so you can't regain that. That's a bunch of crap. And I'm going to tell you, he wants to convince you that you have no hope. And then finally, he wants to destroy your opportunity. And man, this is what I'm going to tell you. You've got an opportunity to live a life of faithfulness. Watch this. Fullness. These are words, gangs, that I look at and just go, this inspires me. A life of adventure, of greatness, of strength that is balanced with love and a life of purpose. You have got that. And don't let him convince you you've lost your opportunity. The Scripture says God created you to be in his image. It's male and female he created, but there's a specific part of maleness that God says will represent a certain part, a certain part of His greatness. And this is what God wants you to be. As He says, you live in my image. He wants you to bear His image. And that's that little box right there. This is what I want you to see. He wants you to be a man. This is your destiny who pursues justice, exemplifies good, lives without regard to self. exhibits gloriousness, exhibits kindness, extends grace, offers forgiveness, remains reliable, establishes security, embodies strength, provides protection, defines integrity, shows mercy, and leads with love. You bring that home to your wife, and you will see hopelessness and despair slip out the door. You bring that into your community, and you will see the leadership vacuum dissipate and major problems run and hide. And guys, that's where we're going. And I hope you journey with me. And you have the courage to say, all right, let's get the poison out. And if it's not poison that's in me, I know other guys I'm going to face that have this poison in their life and let me speak to it. Father, I pray for these men that they would endure and hang in there and that for the next four weeks that we're together now from here on out, that we would understand what it means to act like men, that we would stand against the enemy who wants to steal our joy. He wants to kill our hope. He wants to destroy our opportunity. He does not want us to have the abundant life the opportunity that manhood represents. He wants to tell us that our past is too painful, too difficult to overcome. Society's too far down a certain road. The, the spiritual you know, revolution and societal revolution has taken us out of our chance and out of our opportunity. And you say, no, that we can restore the years the locusts have eaten and we can begin to be those men who don't confuse greatness with you know, the credit we heard in songs to begin with here or what Hollywood puts forth, even what the church and its weakness has represented. We want you to father us. Would you be our mentor? Would you be our daddy? And would you show us what a man is? And Father, may we be confident men, not cocksure, self-reliant men, but men who walk out of here with faith, with hope, established and anchored in truth, a rock that will not be shaken. And may we take the village that you have placed us in. It is more important than the villages that were conquered 50 years ago in Germany, which give us our freedom today. It's a village which will lead to freedom in the lives of those who are oppressed by the lies that society, the advance of reason over revelation, and the absence of other men have brought to a place of despair. Start with us. Let us step up and be men. Amen.